You know what is said about how to make time fly. Two years ago, we launched this podcast, and already here is our 25th episode. Clearly, we've been having fun. I'm Laura Whitley. In this edition of The Next Stop, we revisit some of our most interesting stops and conversations along the way. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. Metro's Podcast. From commuter hacks and emerging technology to learning what life is really like behind the wheel of a bus, the next stop has covered a broad range of transit topics. Some of the most popular have included how public transit impacts the growth and well-being of communities and the people that live there. In January, we visited with Dr. Zoeb Hafiz from McGovern Medical School at UT Health and discussed how choosing transit, at least for some trips, can be part of a healthier lifestyle. In your view, high-quality public transit that is accessible, safe, comfortable, is linked to good health. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I think... One of the interesting things about what we're learning about public health as we get more and more mature as a field is it's how it incorporates with urban infrastructure, especially in Houston. Um, And I like to say it in a way that's, you know, there's what goes on inside the bus and the train in terms of public health. And then there's what can happen outside of the bus and train and how that intersects with, you know, I'm a pediatrician. So Mm -hmm. how does that intersect with the health of our kids? And not just physically, but, you know, cognitively, mentally, um, you know, how, how that inter- intersects with the way we build our environments for kids and for children and old people and babies, moms with babies and uh, pregnant women and all, all kinds of things like that. And, you know, and, and what are we capable of doing as a city to, to foster that sort of growth, you know, and, and its effects are, you know, its effects are so far reaching. Um, but yeah, I, a long way of saying I agree. Yes, <laughs> you agree. <laughs> I agree. Well, and, and we, let's dive into that a little bit. And, and you know, I think we'll start where um, maybe where many people are at this point, particularly in the year uh, when they are thinking about, um, you know, New Year and, and making healthier choices for themselves. What are some ways that choosing public transit, in your view, can help someone who's trying to live a healthier lifestyle? Well, I think that there's, you know, the simple, re- simple answer to that, which is, you know, if you, if you are lucky enough to be near a frequent, a high frequency bus or train route and you take it, you'll get more steps in, you know, and, you know, that helps a little bit with weight loss. And I think a lot of people focus on the weight loss aspect of it, but I always advocate that, you know, that's so multifactorial. I mean, you got to get your diet in order and your stress level down and all kinds of other things. But I mean, in terms of just feeling better, people who are active feel better. So, you know, if you're lucky enough to be near a, you know, um, in an environment that's safe for you to walk in and you can walk to a bus stop that can get you to where you need to go in a timely manner, I'd say that if one of your goals is not just physical health, but mental health, Give it a shot. You know, I, I'd say see what happens and and uh, see if that's something that. And I think the other thing is, if you feel like you should be able to do that and you can't, you know, then then that's something that you need to think about as well in terms of you know what steps can we take as a community to get a little bit better at that. So, um, 
I would say that it, it, there's a lot of positive effects um, in terms of you know meeting your New Year's resolutions when it comes to that. And you mentioned stress level. I know I often um, hear from our our writers, even those who uh, maybe live in outlying areas and utilize park and ride, mm-hmm. that when they start using some of the services that are available in terms of public transit, mm-hmm. taking the bus versus drive commuting an hour each way in their own personal vehicle, yeah, the stress goes down. Oh yeah, and I think anybody who's lived in Houston could tell you that. You know, um, I know for me that whenever I'm on the highway, that is probably the highest stress I feel in a day, and that includes my job as an inpatient, you know, pediatric hospitalist. I, I think that there's just so much research out there that supports that too. You know, one thing that stands out to me is they took a bunch of adults with car, with known coronary artery disease, um, had them drive in their commute, and then did EKGs on them. And some of those EKGs, a lot of those EKGs were very dangerous. You know, going to going in the direction of myocardial ischemia, wow, uh, heart attacks type, early heart attack type EKGs, and that's surprising until you actually get on I-45, you know, and then you're like, <laughs> right. oh, maybe, maybe that makes some sense. And, you know, like I would say that we know that our stress levels are high chronically, you know, when you're, when you're doing that hour commute and in uh, rush hour traffic and the effects of that are, are not just, you know, that kind of, Oh, I get road rage sometimes. It's not just that, you know, when your stress hormones are high all the time, you have a decreased immune response. And we know this. People in longer commutes have to take more sick days, have more days in the hospital, um, and have decreased job and life satisfaction sometimes. The life satisfaction, I think, is a little tenuous. because that's, that's so multifactorial. But the job satisfaction, the hospital days, the sick days, the longer you commute, the more stressful the, your commute. I mean, and that anger doesn't go away. That frustration and stress... I, Anybody who's ever driven on the highway here in Houston knows that it takes time to to get over that commute. Like you need to release that somewhere. And where are you releasing it? At work or at home with your kids and your wife or husband, you know, and um, that has negative effects. So, you know, we think a lot about the the um, the 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 stress of of hurting someone else in your car or hurting yourself in your car. But it's a lot more than that, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of, and I'm going to make a, a point that wasn't really your question, but you can get in a bus or a train if you're fortunate enough to do that. All of that stress just dissipates. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, I, I heard your last podcast, you're, you're getting Wi-Fi, you know, experimenting with Wi-Fi in some of our trains. I wish it was the red line. Right. <laughs> but uh, it looks like you got the green and purple, which yeah. is okay. But, you know, now all of a sudden you're not only going to be able to relax and watch videos or do some work or get them things done, but you're going to be both a more effective person and a happier person or, or a less stressed person, at least we could say that. Given that quality of life improvement, it's no surprise that access to high quality public transit and walkability is now an important selling point in the world of Houston real estate. So much so, it's helped attract developers from across the globe, including Melbourne, Australia, who came here to develop the first ever high-rise in Midtown. We spoke with Derek LaRue from Caden, USA, about how the close proximity to Metro Rail was a key factor in attracting development. 
It's one of the very high-level uh, factors that we look for in a site. As, as we see not only a shift in the generational lifestyle, but also a dramatic increase in the cost of owning and operating vehicles, um, we realize that the future of a community is not around its vehicles. And so consequently, we want to find public transportation directly or, or very close to our sites. And so the Metro Rail, with one stop away from where we are right now, was a fantastic uh, opportunity for us to maximize that. With the growing population we have here, not only in the, in the larger Houston area, Midtown has doubled in size in the last six years. And so as we redensify inside the loop, it only stands to reason and logic that we would then come back in and focus on transportation. Um, eventually, we cannot build enough roadways to move the people we need to. And that's really where, in my opinion, uh, transit-oriented development can come in and help. Um, Houston has a great opportunity with the light rail that, that we are only now, I think, realizing as developers how to maximize. The added value and convenience access to Metro System brings is one of the things that longtime Houston radio personality Dana Tyson of Sunny 99.1 talked about when she was on the show. She told us about how after years of battling traffic, she relocated from the Woodlands to the East End and began using Metro Rail for evening and weekend outings. After just a few rides, she quickly became a Metro fan. And one time we said, well, let's just take the Metro. Right, right. And I'm looking at Bob going, this is so relaxing. It's clean. It's cool. Your conductors, can I just say, we, when the little kids get out of the train, we uh -huh. wave goodbye to the conductors. They'll open the window and say goodbye to the kids. I mean, that's why I say it's like this gem that we have in Houston, the sweetest people. And I just don't think that they get enough recognition. We've got our bus drivers. We've got our metro drivers. Absolutely. And they're pretty amazing. Oh, well, I, everybody I know really appreciates that. And I, I'm, we will definitely share that with you the metro rail they operators. Yes, yeah. the, the rail operators and, of course, the bus operators. So um, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because it's, it's a topic we've explored here on the next stop before. And, and that's about uh, the trend uh, that realtors and other developers are telling us they're seeing of folks that uh, are ready to give up some long commutes uh, for more convenience and um, choose places to live that are situated close to high capacity transit such as metro rail or other high frequency bus routes and Absolutely. you found that we did and and i'll tell you we we took um you know metro and you know you know metro is growing and and we've had instances with the the world series parade there are instances even some i got some people talking about because i'm on the radio just just singing about metro and they'll say dana oh my gosh it was so hard at the rodeo Bob and I went on it. It was no problem. But right. when the crowds really came, maybe after a concert, there might have been confusion. So there's a learning curve. Sure. But honestly, give Metro a try because you will find the, the peace and calm when you don't have to worry about parking your car. Metro is so convenient once you learn the lines. And again, I'm used to the subway. So I'm, I'm, I already kind of have that system down. But as a person who lived in the suburbs, we never thought about Metro. You just right. drive your car everywhere. Yeah. But once you get hooked, once you try it, you know, I look around at other people on Metro and I'm like, you know, thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs it's pretty up cool, like, isn't it? It's like a secret. It really secret is. That you That's go. what I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah. I talk about you all on Sunny. The convenience and ease of use that Tyson identified as one of the things she loves about Metro is in line with what Transit Center researcher Stephen Higashiri has found attracts riders. 
We discussed his latest book, Better Buses, Better Cities, and the lessons he says Metro can teach other providers. People often talk about the stigma of the bus, or they believe that oh, we have to make buses sexy, we have to market the bus in, the new, in a new way, when what it really comes down to is providing frequent, fast, reliable service that you can walk to, that's affordable, and that is a dignified experience that gives you a place to wait. Um, it's really as simple as that, and it makes transit attractive, whether you're talking about rail or buses. Um, when you make bus service convenient and attractive for people, you know, the stigma goes away very quickly and ridership uh, starts to increase. It sounds like what you're saying is it, it doesn't have to be any type of, of vehicle that looks special. It's just about getting people where they need to go. That's right. You know, you, you can talk about like branding the bus in a new way, but really the important thing is having a great product to market in the first place. Um, and that's something that Houston actually can teach a lot of other cities. The 2015 bus network redesign brought frequent bus service to many neighborhoods that hadn't had it before. Uh, and you can see the impact on overall system ridership. Absolutely. And the other thing I know that you've looked into is it's not necessarily a conversation about trains versus bus. Uh, it, it, it's about a system that works well together, and that's something that the reimagining campaign addressed. Right. It really comes down to building an integrated system. Um, you know, on transit Twitter, people are often debating, oh, is the rail better than the bus? Uh, sometimes, you know, business leaders or economic development folks talk about the image of world-class transit, sort of thinking that people want to see sort of shiny new rail systems. When you actually go to places that have world-class transit, you see, you know, high-capacity rail and bus rapid transit in the places that have the demand to support it. And then you see abundant bus service feeding into that. So they really do work together. Um, I think a lot about uh, something, uh, you know, I mentioned in the book, uh, my colleague David Bragdon, who's the executive director of Transit Center, often says that debating whether a train or a bus is better is like debating whether a jacket or a sweater is better. Mm. You know, it, it depends on the context. It's all about, well, what's the weather like? What do you need? Right. And you really want to have both in your wardrobe, and you really want to have both in your transit toolbox. That transit toolbox has expanded and adapted rapidly during the COVID-19 pandemic we now live Currently, all customers and operators are required to wear masks. Seats are closed to allow riders to practice social distancing. And buses have been retrofitted with shields for added protection. We sat down with Metro President and CEO Tom Lambert just a few weeks into the pandemic response and discussed how the authority has been able to implement changes so quickly. Yeah, we've been working with uh, public health officials, the emergency management partners throughout the region, and of course, following the leadership of Mayor Turner and Judge Hildago of what Metro needed to do to make sure that we continue to provide essential transportation services. Folks are using our services to get to health care. Uh, they're using our services to be those health care providers uh, that support this community during 
the crisis that we're underway right now. But it's also using our services to get to those retail outlets to support uh, the groceries that folks need in this region. Um, Metro has a longstanding approach toward an all-hazards approach to emergency management. And so clearly, the planning we've done in the past, whether it's the lessons we've learned from Hurricane Harvey or Tropical Storm Allison, the thing you learn in that all-hazards approach is that you have to be flexible and you have to be adaptable to changing conditions. So I'm very proud of the organization. We've uh, been adapting to the circumstances as they've changed. We've made sure that our messaging has reinforced uh, the guidance we've gotten from public health officials, a tremendous amount of effort in social distancing messaging, and then how we've adapted the operation to reinforce that message as well. Let's dive in a little deeper. Let's talk uh, about uh you know, some of these operational shifts uh, that have occurred uh, really in just sometimes it's day to day that that the changes come about um, social distancing operations. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you can continue to operate uh, a bus uh, that has, you know, it puts people together, but figure out how to spread them out and, and, and the other vehicles that we have. Well, again, I want to begin by complimenting the staff. And I want to continue to reinforce their creativity and their willingness really to look outside the box. Um, We worked with the staff and said, how could we reinforce the message on board our vehicles of social distancing? So they came back with a concept of how could we basically mark seats to say, don't sit in this seat, sit in the next seat. Uh, And so it really began to look at how could you adapt a transit environment and to fall within that six-foot range of social distancing, and how could we use uh, signage, how could we really highlight the message of letting folks know to do that, whether you're on a bus or you're on a train. We also did that in our paratransit service. Uh, Normally, our paratransit vans can carry uh, four wheelchairs at a time. Uh, We now are limiting that to two wheelchairs at a time to, to, again, reinforce that social distancing message. I think you have to be willing to empower people uh, that are very committed to look outside the box. We know we're an essential service. We've got to keep it up and running. Uh, But we also know we have to do our share uh, to make sure that message of social distancing, uh, personal hygiene, uh, everything that the public health officials are saying we need to do, we've reinforced that in all of our messages uh, as we've gotten into our support for the community during this crisis. We've also interlined more buses on routes that had heavy ridership and continue to have it uh, so that we spread out that customer base by adding more service to routes. So we're, we're really adapting the service that reinforces the public health message, uh, but also ensures that we continue to provide an essential critical service to this community uh, throughout this crisis. That wraps up this 25th edition of The Next Stop. I'm Laura Whitley. Here's to 25 more. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can find them on our website or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play. Until next time, drive less, do more with Metro.